Am I making any sense? Here All right. are another episode of Am I Making Sense? I'm here with my buddy, my pal, Ed Rubin. Ed, it's been a while since we last uh, podcasted, but we're seeing each other on the on the Zoom circuit. I guess that's what we're referring to comedy these days. Is the Zoom I, yeah, yeah, it's a global uh, circuit. Although, I, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love what's going on. I man, I was I was kind of begrudgingly and um, lazily getting into zoom. Yeah. Over the last three months, I think I've really embraced it. And I realized I, I needed this. I really, really needed this. Yeah. That's great. Because we're, we're now we're doing comedy. I kind of, I kind of get in the feel of the East coast rooms. Of course, we're seeing people percolating from different time zones into the rooms we're doing. And, um, God, even, um, you know, Sam Medina, his mics he's doing are really um, international. He's hosting international showcases with, you know, um, Malaysian comics, Irish comics. Um, I forget which European country, but yeah, man, it's been, I think it's really shrunk the comic world. So I'm, you yeah. know, man, I keep coming back to this and I say it half jokingly, but I also say it sincerely. Um, this plague has been... Not all bad. <laughs> well, it helps that we haven't gotten sick. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, always yeah. have to, you always have to, you know, put that little caveat in there. We haven't gotten sick and yes. and we have work from home jobs. So yes. things have been all right for us. So yes, there's yeah. been some some goodness out of it. Right. Uh, yeah. So hey, it is November 7th, and Ed Rubin, we now have a new president. President elect. President-elect. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, President he doesn't elect. start till uh, noon, January 20th, 2021. But who's counting, right? Who's, <laughs> who's counting? You know, I um, I got to tell you, I got to share with you how much I learned in the last four days. Okay. Uh, and then you, I mean, just fill in, when jump in whenever you want. So when we were on to like... Okay, well, first off, let's start about how we have more national and international Zoom calls, right? Okay. Um, so I was on a call, a Zoom call, comedy. Com mm -hmm. I think it was Tuesday. Yes, it was Tuesday, because that was... Wow. Wait, what was that? That was election day. Okay, I'm sorry. It was either last Thursday or something. I don't know. It was prior to voting, and um, there was a New York comic on. And he talked about how, oh, yeah, he went to go vote that day um, so that he didn't have to deal with the lines on November 3rd. Right. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting. So he lives in New York. And I go, well, aren't more people doing absentee ballots because of COVID? And he said, well, yeah, you can, but you still have to fill out some form to get approval for absentee. And I go, what? I, I, I said, I've been, as far as I know, I think I checked a box probably when I was 18 years old <laughs> that said, I'm an app, I want the absentee ballot. Right. What, I have, it used to be you had to have a reason why you needed an absentee ballot in California years and years ago gave you a chance to just say, nope, I just always absentee. 
Always absentee. So I, since I was 18, I remember my first voting experience was an absentee ballot. Yeah. So yeah. I'm 45, <laughs> right? So we're talking about 94 or 90. Um, I think whatever one was Clinton's second um, term mm-hmm. was the first voting experience I had. And I remember it was a, it was a mail-in ballot. Like I didn't even drop it off. I, until this election, I never even dropped off at um, ballot boxes. I just hung it on my mailbox. Oh, okay. And um, so here's what I learned. When we were in day two, I was going, what the shit is going on here? Like, I, this process must be automated. And then I thought, I go, and this is COVID year. So everybody must be doing absentee ballots. So it must be going fast because I'm sure there's some kind of automation here in California where they're like at the post office or the voting or whatever, where they're just running these things through, get tallying the count. I'm assuming, maybe not. But what, so what I found is I kept reading up on it and I realized, well, number one, let's throw out another positive. This has been the highest voter turnout in U.S. history, I believe. Right. So that's great. Right. Um, but then... The other thing is, I don't think a lot of states embrace absentee ballot the way California does. And that meant that their pro- processes probably weren't as smooth. Now, it could be either they didn't have the processes in place, or it could be that California is fibbing <laughs> the way they do it, right? So, uh, I, I you know, know, I don't know how, I think they just have the processes in place, but I... Yeah. I, the, I, that. I, I have to believe that because it, it used to, I mean, I don't know when, you know, for the longest time, I remember California was uh, processed the absentee ballots after doing the normal voting as well. So I just know that when I set, sent in my, when I put, I put mine in a place over at the library. Okay. And then uh, two or three days later, they said it was going to get counted, but I have no idea when they actually counted the ballot. Yeah, I would think they should be tallying them as they arrive, but maybe there's some law that says only you can only start tallying on November 3rd. But you got to think about it here in California. Like I sent my name probably at least one to two weeks ahead of time. Oh, and by the way, I this year, my wife told me, she goes, don't put it in the mail. Um, take it. She took it to the library um, for me. Right. I mean, that was the whole U.S. That. mail like, issue. Yeah, that's what she said. She goes, well, there could be mail issue or there could be tampering. Um, so drop it off at a ballot box. But ours was in at least a week or two early. So my assumption is it was counted then and it's in a database and then they just have to. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't bank on that because, you know, if you tally it, if you start tallying it, then people know what the results are. Got and it. And those people have to keep their mouths shut. Right. Okay. You don't want it. I mean, it's the same reason they don't release results until the uh, the election or the Polling places of close, right? Because they don't want to affect the election or people deciding to vote or not to vote. So uh, I don't know if they actually start tallying before election day. I have no, I, I just don't know. But that would be the, the worry, right? Yeah. Yeah. But when you look at it, California, we went to decided within, I think by nine or 10 o'clock on the third. <laughs> and we have, 50 million, we had like 50, not 50 million, that's way too many, but we had tens of millions of votes to tally. And Nevada's over there like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think it's because that there are uh, our electorate is a lot more lopsided when it comes to party. Is my guess. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, um, we weren't yeah. close at all. It was right. a blowout in California. Right. Yeah. So. so. Yep. It's exciting. It's it was educational. I think this is the probably the only time in my life where I was kind of like watching the proceedings and as the days went by, I was watching and kind of getting a little bit more, I don't want to say anxious. Um, yeah. Feeling like, should it be taking this long <laughs> or has something gone terribly wrong? Uh, well, one is right. I mean, imagine these people are doing all of this indoors, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to, whatever space they have is, they can't have that many people in it with all the COVID stuff, right? So, uh, I mean, there are now reports about people in those counting areas getting COVID from other people that didn't realize they had COVID when they were in there. So there have been oh, a, yeah. a quite a few election, yeah, a number of election workers that got COVID uh, through this. So, uh, yeah. The news just keeps getting better. Yeah, my but, father- You know, the other thing to remember is they had, you know, part of it, the one that made me the second most nervous about the election was they have to compare your signature to some official signatures they have on file. And so they, I don't think they can do that in an automated fashion. I, I don't, I really don't know how they do that. I mean, yeah. hopefully California, hopefully each, and all the, the, the ballot or, you know, the counting is done by at the county level. So somehow they have to, I don't know what they can, what they used to do the, the signature comparison, but that's a, that is a slowing down part of it. My um, father-in-law volunteered this year. So I'll, I'll get, I haven't got the full story from him. I, he didn't work overnight or anything. He just worked the day of. So I think he just manned a polling station, Uh, but it was interesting. I thought it was an all volunteer thing, but they offered to pay him, but he, He's retired now, so he can't accept it. He's on social security, so he couldn't. Oh, okay. accept, um, he couldn't accept the money. Yeah, uh, but this this is another interesting thing, and we're both tech guys, so um, I've had the discussion of automation uh, with many <laughs> different uh, just technologists, people in the industry, um, from the software side to the hardware side, and we always talk. Uh, well, not us, but the media always talks about this eminent replacement of the human worker by automation. And while that has already happened and will continue to happen, I'm not as bullish on things being fully automated as quickly as pundits and different technologists are saying. And I think this is a really good example of why things are, I guess, this is a good, you would think this should be the easiest thing to automate, counting a tick box across hundreds of millions of whatever ballots. And it right. proved to be, it's, it doesn't seem like it's automated at all because technically we aren't done counting. Well, they have a machine to, uh, you know, it sounded like they're, the ballots go through a, a different, pro, you know, mm-hmm. there's like a process for them and they have to keep them, the ver- various categories of ballots separated yeah. grouped together, right? Based on arrival times and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, I think the main thing with the automation is just the fear of uh, hacking. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, because they have machines that read the ballots, right? Yeah. 
But then you heard them talk about cases where the ballot gets rejected by the machine and a person has to look at it and figure it out. But I mean, that, that's been a huge issue, right, is this whole idea of the people wanting a record of what, you know, the vote uh, paper trail of what got, how their votes were recorded. Yeah. So just because of that fear of hacking. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's always that hack. That's what I would call a, um, like a brute force type hack. But I think the biggest hack that's been going on, and I think it's been going on since prior to 2016, there were a number of high profile, uh, hacks on things like Sony and a couple casinos that were done by um, nations. So Iran had hit um, casinos, North Korea had hit Sony. Um, and there were a couple others in there. Obviously United States, we did our dirt to, to other countries, but I think what's been happening for the last, uh, I wanna say six or seven is it's a hack, but it's more of like a psychological operations hack. And I, I almost want to say the reason Trump got in is manipulation of social media networks. Um, I think people are way too fired up and not, and everyone's being kind of um, um, very reactionary and you're kind of seeing the fabric of society kind of like, at least in America, Yeah, it feels uh -huh. precarious. And I think we're being puppeted. <laughs> That's what I think is happening. I think Russia's and China's and Iran's are like, oh, we, we know how to fuck with the Americans because they get very passionate about politics and sports and <laughs> stuff. Well, you're like forgetting, you're forget, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I realize this shows my bias, but you're forgetting about Fox News. Well, Fox, yeah, no. So f we talked about this before, right? I think the news media is another thing that we got to regulate that. We got to regulate that as quickly as possible to where the population should only be allowed. It, you know, you have regulations to save yourself from yourself, right? And if you even step back and say, um, if you even step back and say, let's not even look at a whole society. Let's just look at ourselves. And if everyone's being honest with ourselves, we have a list of no-nos, every individual that you regulate, right? Like for me, it's sugar and it's YouTube. <laughs> like I literally had to write down today, no YouTube, because I can watch one video and then go, and then that, that right-hand bar and then go, oh, well that synth video was cool. Now let me go to this synth video. Now let oh, me yeah. go. Oh, I got, yeah. And then yeah. before you know it, oh wait, where did the last hour and 45? So I, I have a regulation on myself, but as a society, there's things you got to regulate, man. Like, obviously I always go back to, um, the FAA, right? The safest place anyone could be at right now at uh, anywhere on the planet is inside a commercial jet airline right now because it's so highly regulated and the way they handle the regulations is so meticulous. And when accidents do happen, they have their own uh, you know, safety board that does invest investigations and the pilots and the ground crew and everyone's, everyone's so highly regulated that the job gets done pretty well. You know, when something bad goes wrong, it's very sensational. But when you think of the amount of people who go to and fro on an airplane, it's, it's a pretty bulletproof uh, process that knock on wood, <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's an example of regulation doing what it's supposed to do. 
Right. And I think news, people being able to consume news um, every minute of the day is really, really bad for a society. It seems to be, yeah. I, I can't disagree with that. Yeah. I, well, especially, I think we already talked about like just this whole notion uh, that they uh, that they basically get opinion people fighting with each other, and that's how they um, that's how they present the news so much is just having arguments. And I was just watching some uh, little clip with Soledad O'Brien and uh, Trevor Noah. And she was talking about one of the things to know about those opinion people is that's so much cheaper for those news organizations to do that than to actually send people out into the field with a cameraman and, you know, stay at hotels for a few days to get stories like that. So interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Because the discipline of journalism at its core is investigation. And right, so, but, in, but investigation is very resource intense. So that's a good point. You could get lazy and just hire a bunch of opinionated jerks. <laughs> and then you don't have to put the time, money, and energy into a long form researched investigation. Right. Well, it's, it's basically like when you're watching uh, the Food Network, right? They basically got rid of all of their learn how to cook shows and now they're all contest shows because people are into people battling with each other and figuring out who the winner is and all that sort of stuff and that i think it's the same thing and yep. so. yeah it's uh man it's it's unfortunate do you think we'd have to regulate the food network <laughs> no no more food people cannot be watching food 24 hours a day that's unhealthy yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting. What's your take? Do you think, um, how do you think the next few months are going to go? Uh, if I were to guess, I would say uh, I think the most interesting thing will be to see who um, gets pardoned. Oh, that's always the fun part of ending a presidency. <laughs> and this person could pardon a lot of people that have any evidence against him. Yeah, I know that shows my bias, but yeah, yeah. I uh, no, but you know what? Bias is like that. I don't think anyone has to be apologetic about their bias. I mean, there's a genuine curiosity because we know there were shenanigans done by either directly by him or by the people trying to prop him up. Yeah, don't forget that he was his uh, lawyer, uh, Michael Cohen, was convicted. Of, you know, was sentenced to three years yeah. for something that he was directly involved in. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough ride, man. Um, and I don't know. Um, certainly, I, I have no. I don't care. People vote for who they vote for, and I'm not judging anyone. Um, but my, I I am curious because Trump. I have no problem saying this. His style was he's a bully, and um, it's just in business the way he did his politics, the way he even did his game show. He's a bully, right? And he seemed to attract a lot of that bully type um, following where people like, like people, I would say, you know, the one thing I would say about the real diehard, um, and actually I'll say this about the left too. I have no problem saying this about both sides. When a person becomes entrenched in an, uh, in a team, I feel like there's a certain loss of empathy 
to even listening to the counterpoint, right? You have your point, but there's always a counterpoint. Like right. this is the way nature works. It's yin and it's yang, right? So whatever your point is, you know, 100% there's a person on the other side who thinks like exactly opposite of what you think. Um, but I wonder, you know, given that it's kind of gives it, it seems to attract that bully type personality and also the gun owner type personality. Um, I wonder if we're going to have some unruliness in the next few months. Uh, well, I, I think that's, that's certainly a concern. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we do have, we, we have police or, or, you know, hopefully law enforcement groups that yeah. would put a stop to that. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I, uh, I was worried I don't about, think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I think our, the current president has no empathy for anybody else but himself. Yeah. Seems well established. So. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's too controversial of a statement to make. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, but I just, I mean, today, today is the day that they finally decided that Biden would be the next president. And I don't know about you, but I feel just so much lighter today. Yeah. I feel lighter. But then the, the heaviness I was feeling watching this back and forth was seeing how close it was and knowing the mentality of uh, the, the diehard Trump side. I felt a little bit like um, this could lead to potentially uh, some bad stuff. But so far, it doesn't look like it has. I don't know. I checked the news before I got on here. It looks like uh, but then I, you know, I don't know, maybe the news hasn't scooped up the big stories that are happening yet, but, um, I haven't seen anything. And this is, I, it was the first time I checked into the news today. My wife texted me this morning that Biden won. Cause I got, I, I got tired of it. And just like the no YouTube thing, sometimes I have to say no more news. And I was like, I, this weekend, I don't care. I, I won't look at it. But then she texted me. And then before I jumped on, I go, Oh, let me look at the news to see if me and Ed can talk about anything that's going on. But it seems like it's so far, um, just the, the same threat from Trump that he's suing or something. But um, what was I going to say? Yeah, but I mean, is already he in. Have some, he, they have no, they haven't, they don't have a shred of evidence that they've told any about for whatever charges they're trying to, trying to do in court. Trying to Trump up? Ah! Yeah. 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 So... It'll be interesting. Um, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I was kind of thinking just, oh, well, I think if we ever needed a fresh start, this is it. <laughs> so, well, it's a whole rebuilding that they have to do. He, he dismantled so many things uh, that are important to the future of the country that uh, there's just a lot, it's an enormous amount of work, I think, to have to do to rebuild some of these things and to get COVID under control, hopefully. Oh, that's the thing that I'm thinking about again right now is, um, it doesn't look good, man. Um, so I, I don't know. It just doesn't look good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? Hey, let me bounce an idea off of you. Yes talking about politics because this voting stuff it's a little frustrating for me because looking through it what we're doing is 
we're running a popularity concert, uh, sorry, a popularity uh, contest where the people with the most money get the attention to become popular. I've been having this thought. You know how there's some countries out there in the world where they have uh, like com- compulsory military service? Right, yeah. Mandatory. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems to kind of, if nothing else, I talked about, I touched on the empathy a little bit. It seems in those countries that at least people have a shared experience, whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, they have a shared experience of having um, participated in something that everyone had to participate in. And of course, some people are more gung-ho and take it more seriously and other people are kind of lackadaisical and they tolerate a little bit of sloppiness because it is mandatory. But I've been wondering about governance over this past election cycle and really over this last four years. And I've been thinking, um, you know, a government, when you boil it down, it is a set of processes that we have in place that we, for lack of a better term and without getting into really minute details, it gives us an order with which to behave within the society, right? It's just this structure that's set up. Right, well, those are the laws, right? Those are the laws, but then those are even the law, it gets even more meta than that because it's how even laws are made and how laws are enacted. And so there's like this structure in place. And so what's really important in a government is not necessarily the person, it shouldn't be. Yet we put so much emphasis on the individual personality And that's why it's so easy to become disillusioned because we live in a time when you can pick up dirt on anyone for anything. Mm -hmm. And so whenever a person runs, well, of course, this is when the real journalism happens and people go out and they find all the dirt from the last 40 years on a person. And then they, they pretty much do a character assassination on people. Right. Right. Like, well, everyone's an asshole. Who do I vote for? But really what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep that framework up. Right. Anywhere. I'm, I'm talking a lot. What are your thoughts if we moved to a society where it was uh, not just mandatory, there's mandatory civil service and it can look many different ways. Like you could either be, have to go into the military, but I, I'm a pacifist mostly. So I don't, I think our defense spending, like that's one of my biggest uh, irritations with our government really is just the obscene amount of money that just gets funneled into the uh, industrial defense complex. But so I think we should, you know, hopefully a smaller military, but you could have a. Uh, Yeah. I think your timing is off on that. What do you mean? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen or. No, 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 it's not. It's not. But, um, uh, but okay. So either, uh, uh, mandatory military, or here's the other one. The majority of us will have mandatory working in some type of capacity within the government, meaning there'll be a certain people who have the aptitude and the ability and the training to work at a federal level. There'll be some people at state level, some people at county level, some people at, but however it breaks down, but everyone needs to at some point be working on the process. So it's not just me doing my day-to-day work in a private industry 
it's like knowing that in my lifetime, I have to complete like five years of service in the government somehow, some way so that I'm, I'm actually tied to the structure that is keeping my society together. So I'm not just, um, voting for a person to keep that structure and build that structure. I actually have to intimately get my hands dirty and understand it. Um, do you think that's something that could ever happen? I know it happened. I know I, uh, I had relatives in Denmark and I remember he had to do, I think it was a nine month public service stint. That's it. So that's it. Like that could be your bare minimum to entry. Like if you want to be a citizen of whatever country, you have to participate in the governance and the operation of that. And then everyone I think will have a much more, hopefully deeper understanding of how things should work. And, you know, really, like when you talk about something like a Supreme Court, obviously only people with legal training or law degrees would be able to even look at something like that. But I'm, look, I'm just thinking on any given city from the education department to sanitation to infrastructure, like there's got to be little areas where that common guy can just, common guy and gal can get in there and, and um, participate. And it might it might take the edge off on, you know, people saying, oh, well, that son of a bitch is in that role. So I don't trust our government anymore, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I, I, I it's, yeah, it, it, I'm sure some state maybe will try experiment. I don't know if we've had any states that have experimented with that. I, I doubt it. I think it's really like, let the, political people take care of us. I think that's been the mentality, but I'm thinking, well, with the amount of people who are unhappy with governance, um, well, yeah, like both sides find reasons to pick apart each other's side. And it's just like, I don't know, really the, the, the upshot of our government should be, um, to have some kind of stable safe system in place for everyone it shouldn't just be that a couple people get to decide what's safe and then you know don't even get me started on the people lobbying and the pack and all this other stuff that's like oh yeah no that's completely uh the uh, edge yeah talk about needing regulation <laughs> oh did you ever see uh yeah i i always thought he should have won a pulitzer for it was uh when stephen colbert set up his pack Way back, not on the current show, but on his previous show, he did a whole he did a whole segment where he actually created a real pack, and he had a guy that had been on the Federal Elections Commission help him with it. Okay, and it was and it was really illustrative of just how corrupting yeah the whole pack system was and how phony it all was. Um, it was really it, it was maddening and interesting all at the same time. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that the whole the money thing is is has been terrible for you know the Citizens United decision. Yep. So. And the irony, the naming of that Citizens United, you really think like Citizens United, yay! Well, yeah. <laughs> Trickery, I right? I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just yeah. Personally, I want them to do something about our tax the uh, the tax rates for the the super rich. That's, that would be one of my main focuses. I'm tired. I'm tired of having to 
to suck up to the super rich people and thank them wholeheartedly for them, you know, granting us some money so that we can do something when they should have been contributing it the whole time. Well, I, I wonder about that. So I'm far too lazy a person to ever become super rich. Cause I mean, I've look, I we're in the Bay area. So I know guys who have been, you know, I don't want to say the words lucky, but let's just say they have a lucrative life. Right. And when I say lucrative, I mean, I'm not talking about just like me, like a comfortable guy in a single family home. I mean, I'm talking about guys who it's like every three months, it's a new whatever Lamborghini or whatever these cars are that cost more than my annual salary. Um, and I, I've always, and, but they, they hustle. The point I was gonna make is they they work all the time, but um, I, now I, I know gardeners that work all the time, right? I mean, that are working seven days a week, hard, really hard. Or yeah. other people, there are lots of people work very hard. Yes. Um, you know, so let, let's, you know, the hardness of the work. I mean, you know, we're talking people that have like three different jobs because, yeah. you know, whatever they're getting paid isn't enough to really support them or whatever. Right. Very so, good check. Very good check. I, yeah, that was a good one. Yes. So um, I guess where I was going with this is I don't understand the mentality of not wanting to give away your money. <laughs> like my whole thing is if I'm being taxed, that means I'm making money and that's a good thing. And if my taxes go to a good thing, then I'm happy. So I'm, I'm of the frame of mind, like, I don't know, this is going on tape, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I'm being taxed 70, 80%, but I live it, but it all goes to a safe community it go, and I know kids are being educated and kept safe. And I know that everyone's healthcare is taken care of. And I know that the air is clean and I lose 70% of my paycheck. Well, I, and remember, I, it's not, it's not taking 70%, you know, are, are you talking about marginal rate or Remember, no, it doesn't we're matter. About marginal let's, tax rate. So no, let's not be specific. Let's just say seventy percent of whatever I earn goes somewhere. Right. I don't care if if I have if it all goes to things that I know are genuinely helping people, genuinely helping the globe. I, what do I what do I care? I mean, why do I need so much money? <laughs> right. But, but then right. I think a lot of people would consider me like too much of a hippie Socialist. tree hugger type guy, but I, I only need, I need my synth. I need a couple guitars. <laughs> you know, if here's my thing, if I have music and laughter in my life, I'm pretty good. Right. <laughs> I, right. I don't need much more than that. But so I don't, I never understood why a rich person would resist excessive taxes unless I, I don't know. Because it's a competition when you get to that level. Look, look at, you know, look how much uh, Trump fought to be in the top, you know, the, the Forbes 400 or whatever like that, right? At yeah. that level, these guys are like in competition with each other to see who can be the, the richest or whatever. Um, yeah. So, and it's this whole, yeah. So, and I think it's just been a, a vicious cycle, right? The rich get richer and they can afford more people to go lobby for things and 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 so then the laws get more and more in their favor and it's it has not been a good thing i don't think for the country no 
uh, you know, and, and oh. now, I mean, I don't know where you go in the Bay Area, but uh, even if you drive through, like I go someplace that's just off Wolf Road in Cupertino, right near the Apple campus, and there's a row now, probably at least 20 homeless tents. Yeah. Right. Oh, I, I know I worked in Cupertino up until uh, like a year and a half ago. And that was my whole thing. Like just how bad the homeless crisis is, is that, um, yeah, you're right. Right around in that area, there was, um, just homeless people panhandling and, um, it's not something you're used to seeing in a place like Cupertino. Right. And that's another thing that has really shocked me with media outlets and also YouTube commentators is the callousness towards homelessness. Not just the callousness, but really kind of kicking them when they're down. Like the only reason you're homeless is if there's really only three reasons. I think if you've had an economic catastrophe that somehow you've lost everything due to a a, a bad role of whatever Mm -hmm. um, addiction or, or mental illness. And I think think those so I would say that um, it's really, well, it's sort of like there's basically two, right? Because I think that the addiction and the mental illness are yep. are tightly wound together, right? So that's both basically the same thing. The one where the person has lost their job or, you know, found themselves in that state. I am under the impression, and I could be wrong, but I'm under the impression that since those people aren't mentally ill, that they are able to find help through, you know, that the government has things in place, I would hope, to help them out, you know, welfare and and uh, unemployment and things like that, at least for, they're able to, they're able to do a better job of seeking out aid, even though that, you know, that they may be embarrassed about it. But the mentally ill that's, that's, you know. Yeah. I, I get, but the point being is that how could anyone be like, how could anyone look at that and ridicule them or, you know, like somehow make it like, Oh, well there's, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> I think that, I think the people doing that commentary uh, are trying to make themselves feel better about themselves relative to another person. Yeah. Because I, I really do feel like these days uh, there's a certain group of people, and I don't know what who they are, but I feel like there's a certain group of people that think it's not good enough that they succeed, but that these other people have to fail. Yeah, a zero. Uh, and, and shouldn't be allowed to have the, you know, the three big rights, right? The The ability to pursue happiness. Yeah. Um, or anything like that. There's this notion that somehow these people need to be punished because they're not as smart as me or not as hardworking as me or whatever, that that somehow these I'm not going to feel good unless these people are not happy. Yeah. And are, are living a, a poor life. So um, I think that's part of it. And I also think that there's part of society where I really do feel like that situation where there's these people at the top that are doing great and they're somehow convincing these two people sets of people down at the bottom to hate each other so that they can create that conflict instead of looking up um, at the CEOs and all this stuff, taking corporate welfare 
yeah. um, and make, you know, and become well, that's a good rich. word. Can you explain that word a little more? Corporate Which one? Corporate welfare. Corporate welfare is all these programs that basically um, are in place to help. Like, you know, there's, uh, we have, there's parts of the U.S. government budget where they're actually giving money to oil companies. Yeah. Right. Or any, anything like that where they're, well, they were up corporations or whatever to I help think, them succeed. Yeah. The 2008 is a great illustration of if this was indeed a free market, a capitalist free market society, then we would no longer have Goldman Sachs. We would no longer have, um, what are those other ones? Um, there was two or three that got propped up by uh, a bailout. Right. Well, AIG is one of the biggest. That was the insurance company that backed up all of those um, the swaps or whatever they were. Yep. And I think that was the most, looking back, that was a case of people where we went and we supported those companies. And then they, nobody got in trouble. I think there was one person that got in trouble someplace. But otherwise, none of those people, there was no... Nobody went to jail or anything like that. They all basically got off scot-free. In fact, it made me upset because all these mortgage brokers and whatever chain of um, other people got to go in again and make more money, you know, off of more refinancings, even though they were part of the group that helped give all these mortgages to people that could never pay them. Yes. That's when I realized, I mean, I always was kind of skeptical of the structure. Um, but that's when I realized that we aren't in necessarily um, a capitalist or democratic society. We're in either an oligarch or corporatocracy. Um, and I, I mean, I was kind of, I was, I was hip to that even before. Cause I, you know, back in the nineties, I was reading Chomsky and stuff like that. The typical kind of hippie stuff yeah. that you read. Um, but so I already kind of was suspicious, but that was like, that was not behind the curtains. That was in front of all of us to see that yep. gov- government steps in and says, um, oh, we're going to do this. But it's because the, that the corporation and the government are, they're the same thing. It's like the, the people who run the government run these, these corporations and vice versa. Right, right. And uh yeah, no, that was really, I mean, I think part of the what led to that was they got rid of the Glass-Steagall Act, right, where there mm-hmm. was, it used to be that you had to have, you couldn't have normal, what, I don't know what the term is, for a normal bank to be uh, joined with an investment bank or something like that, right? They were supposed uh, to be oh. separated because that was, those were all the safety things they put in place after the Great Depression. Yes. And so- then- and they started, they basically were convinced the Congress to get rid of that stuff. Right. Um, so I lose track of all the different names of deregulations. But basically, yeah. since Reagan and every president since him has done a little more erosion to these safety mechanisms that I'm a fan of. Right. It seems like we get more and more unstable every year. And then, and then you look back and go, oh, that was probably because of that deregulation. And that was probably because of that deregulation. That was probably because of that. And we all see that, oh, well, we had so many different safety measures in place that were eroded, supposedly to help capitalism, but I don't think it has. 
Um, well, there was also the basically, I, I feel like the the unions were demonized, right? Yes. That happened under Reagan when he got rid of the or he broke the uh, the FAA uh, traffic controller mm-hmm. uh, union and all that sort of stuff. So correct, uh, you know. Yeah. Look at us. We're we're like a goddamn history book of politics, <laughs> Ed. So let's move this on to something funny because I I do enjoy that okay. I enjoy talking about that kind of stuff, but I'm I I'm not good at it. Um, but let's let's move on to something. How both me and you, it seems like we like to talk about these things, but our comedy is probably some of the most apolitical comedy um, on the circuit. Do you ever feel like going that direction, or are you just like ah, I don't really feel like showing that side. I, uh, I've had a few Trump jokes where I've told them, uh, because I just couldn't resist telling them. Got it. But, uh, you know, it is something where, you know, I think there's also today that, you know, I, part of the, part of the, the Steve Martin story is, yeah, yeah, that there were all these political, you know, comics back then, and he decided to go apolitical and, yep. and, you know, and it's true, you know, the moment you talk about politics, you you turn someone even in the Bay Area, you lose a few people. You do. Uh, you know, if you you know, and, and you may find yourself that you can't go outside of the Bay Area or whatever, or you know, some yeah. very small, you know, various pockets to tell those sorts of jokes. So yeah. And, and you know, you're trying to bring I think there's also certain the feeling that you're trying to our comedy tends to be trying to to have people forget about their cares, yep. right? That this is just silly stuff and, and we're, we're being silly. We're not, you know, trying to make some deep points about anything. So. Yeah. I, I 100% wholeheartedly subscribe to that Steve Martin concept where, um, you know, you can go in with certain political slants into certain rooms and then more or less win the room over, but it's, it's a pander. And then also it's keeping people rooted in something that might be, contentious. Um, and so that's kind of, especially during this last week, cause I was thinking of so many things I wanted to say that I thought were funny or cute turns of phrases that kind of put shots to both sides. Um, but I just go, you know what? I'm not going to tell any of these jokes this week. And I didn't, I just stuck to other stuff. Um, and then moving forward, I'm going to try and find the funny in everything, but governance. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't mean I don't like talking with people. I'm curious. I'm curious about people's takes. Oh, and that's another thing. Like I genuinely want to make, um, you know, I want to make anyone happy. I I don't really care what the audience's politics are. I I just want them, um, to to have some. Right. I think that's how you, I think that's how we hopefully lessen the divide. Yeah. I mean, there is a considerable divide, uh, in the country. So I think so. I feel it. I feel it even just, you know, myself, I think even within my family, people's opinions and people's takes is kind of like, Oh boy. Um, but so let's move on to your joke writing stuff. Cause I wanted to touch on that. Oh, okay. Um, sure. I, I know you participate in this group and you, you wrote a joke that, um, one award that I really like. Let's not blow it out on the podcast because you know, this podcast has millions of listeners and they're probably, oh, I know. You I'm, one I'm one of them. Yeah. Oh, and, but what is your, what is your writing group about? And then kind of tell me the rules of how everything um, works. 
All right. So there's a, so I will try and do this in a short manner, but uh, there's, so there's a pod, podcast called the hot prep podcast. It's run by Joel Byers. Okay. Um, and it's, he basically, for the most part, the podcast, um, you know, it's like an hour or so talking to a comic or maybe longer anyway, he, all about that. But anyway, once COVID hit, uh, and, and all these comics couldn't go to places, he, um, started up this group that, um, goes online on Facebook, although now YouTube and, uh, it's at seven o'clock, 7 a.m. Pacific time, uh, every day of the week. Okay. And, um, so it starts at 7 a.m. There's usually a little talky talk for five minutes. And then, uh, somebody else on the group reveals the word of the day. And then you have 10 minutes and you just write whatever you want. Um, and then you choose which joke you want to put, uh, in this, uh, in a posting on Facebook. And then everybody puts likes or laughs for each joke that they like or laugh at. Uh, and then whoever wins gets the most votes that day. Uh, another person makes a meme of that joke and, and posts it. That is so cool. And so it's been great for writing new jokes and meeting other people um, and just, you know, basically having a committed time that you're going to do your writing at. And, you know, for me, luckily, it's before work. So yeah. it's not interfering with work for me. I mean, some of these, you know, you're on the East Coast, this thing's at 10 o'clock. So some people are sort of having to sneak into a closet or something like that for their 10 minutes or whatever to do the writing. But it's been really helpful to... Um, just do more writing and, and things like that and meet people. And uh, so, yeah, it's been really good. I got to check that out. That, that is kind of in the thick of my, I'm pretty busy by seven o'clock with my work, but um, well, so if, if it's a YouTube, you could go in after, and even if you can't participate, you could probably play along with the exercise, right? Uh, right. You, yeah. Because it's really just, you know, the, the, the thing, the only thing that really changes every day is the word of the day. And, and, you know, some days, you know, it's just like, oh, I've got five jokes to choose from. And like today was the first day I'm like, I don't have anything. I, th- today was the first day where I was like, uh, I can't think of anything. Um, and was so that 10 minutes of you just staring at a blank pad? Not no, even- you know, you're trying to like, uh, I will go on to, you know, just in Google type, you know, phrases with that word in it. Or there's various, there's like a word hippo where there's, they come up with um, phrases with with it in there, or uh, there's also like a, a word associations.net where you type in the word and then it does, it sort of automates this idea of going from that word to the next word to the next group of words and printing them out. So interesting. Yeah. I I have on my phone, I've always kept the poet poet's dictionary, which is um, when you look up a word, it just gives you other words that rhyme. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's various word sites like that. So yeah. Well, that's cool. So I I've been watching you and you are bringing a lot of new jokes and I know you've always been uh, a good writer and coming up with new uh, jokes and concepts. Do you think, what's your opinion with us transitioning back to real world, which I don't think is going to be for a while, but do you think what we're doing on zoom is going to easily transfer to so, okay. Can I, let me back up. I, I think I've seen you get a lot more confident in joke writing and joke telling over this last five or six months on zoom. Yeah. And I've noticed it. 
And I know oh. your act is it's tightening up. Uh, new jokes are coming in. And I, I really like it. I like what you're doing. Do you think we're going to be able to transfer what we've been doing? And me too. I feel like I'm getting... Yeah, no, you're, better. yeah, you've had a lot of popping jokes the whole yeah, time. It feels like it's getting easy. Do you think we're going to be able to carry this momentum back into real world? I think so. I think so. You know, the funny part for me is that one of the things with COVID is like my calendar got erased and I had all this, I had more time and I felt like I could pick and choose more of what I was doing throughout the day and the week and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting. And it's hard to know, you know, I have no insight into when it's going to find, you know, when we can finally go back to normal. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how we do in terms of the time. Like right now, there's no travel time, right, to go between open mics. Um, there wouldn't be. You know, you're just like, oh, I just switch off of this one and go to this other. Oh, one. yeah, the Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so nice. Oh, I know. And I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not never up past 1030 usually. And in the old and in before that, you know, you'd go to Woodham's and I'd be there till midnight and get yep. to bed at like, you know, 1245 or something like that. So it's a, uh, it'll be, it, it'll be different. I think. So. I was, I didn't realize until we went into shelter in place, how tired I was. Yeah, it was just running around. I think by the time we went into shelter in place, I was doing three nights out of the week open mics, and then my job is one where I'm pretty much online by six thirty. Oh so, wow! Um, and that was drive. Well, I'm usually leaving around six thirty back in the old days to get into the office and start working. Um, but now I'm I just like I get to sleep in longer and I go to bed earlier. <laughs> <laughs> where I, I just go, oh, I don't know if I can go back to grind the way I was. And I'm not saying I gr- I was doing a lot compared to other comics. I wasn't. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I have a job and two young kids. So that kind of tired yeah. me out too. So I don't know how I could, uh, I, I'm almost to the point where I go, just relax, enjoy this, you know, before I was thinking, oh, where can I go to try and get an open mic in person, this and that. And then two things are going on. One, I'm seeing this COVID just keeps coming back. It's a bad penny. It just keeps turning up over, you know, I think it's going to start hitting here again, probably. And then, um, and then the other thing is I'm really enjoying Zoom. And so why rush (laughs) getting back to driving somewhere? I mean, that's insane. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. I do, you know, I've been, I have to say that I've not been great about Zooming, Zoom to other, you know, areas. I've mostly been doing the, you know, back to like Pete stuff and um, Melanie stuff and things like that. So I do miss the, you know, I do really still like the the little community down here, but it is definitely nice to get exposure to other people and things like that. So, but, and yeah, the travel time thing is huge and just the, the late nightness and everything. Yeah. I, yeah, it was tiring, but I also, I, I do love it, but it was very tiring. And I think I was overextending myself a little bit if I'm being honest. Um, yeah. but with the zoom stuff, it's just, Oh, this is perfect. I get to try new stuff. The only bro- the only problem is I can't, I can't tell if my stuff lands or not because, um, I'm usually, I'm not memorizing everything. I'm usually just reading something. So if it goes well, I can't, 
I can't look back and forth or sometimes I'll forget and I'll still be on speaker view or something. And Oh yeah. So I don't know if things are working or not. That's the only drawback with zoom. Yeah. I think I'm not, I haven't been very good about pausing long enough after saying something for the whole feedback loop to go through with zoom. Yeah. Um, but I, I do try and record them, but you know, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. I keep forgetting. When I was in person, I always remembered, set up my uh, little tripod, hit record, and then go do my stuff. But with this, all I have to do is hit record on the, um, like the screen capture thing, but I always forget to do that. It, yeah. it should be easier. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I like the, the Zoom thing. I've gotten more, definitely gotten used to it. Um, so it's funny though, though, right? Because now it feels like I'm, you know, committing more of my time. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, um, I don't know if there's anything else we should go over right now. Uh, probably not any shows coming up, right? No in-person shows. Uh, no, I, although I did one last night. Uh, Cynthia is starting, a, is uh, working on some new shows. You know, she started her, oh gosh, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's like Bangru uh, group. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. Wait, you did an in-person one yesterday? Yes. Yes. How did that go? It was good. <laughs> although the timing was great because there was a little rain um right yeah so i've done two in-person shows quote unquote uh, both outdoor shows okay uh, i did the santa cruz friday night drive-in one you know where the where it's on top of a parking garage i heard about that yeah yeah and then uh cynthia's show was at the mexican heritage plaza so okay yeah i know where that is okay yeah. and then how did it go what did the crowd look like oh it was pretty small at the this was the very first show she's done like I was part of the setup crew and uh, we had to like unbox brand new boxes of speaker, you know, with speakers in them and stuff like that. Oh, so cool. this was like literally her first show okay. uh, that she produced or like that. Yeah. She's been doing her uh, CCC show on Thursday nights, um, but this was actually an outdoor one that she's working on. So cool. I'm hoping that it's a success. Cause I mean, you know, I don't know if she'll stay at the Mexican heritage plaza or whatever, but um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's good. So how did it work? Did everyone bring their own mics or? Uh, no. So she had, I think she, she was trying to do everything by the COVID book. So she had, uh, a, a bag with a bunch of, uh, mic covers in it. And then I think she, she had intended to do the thing where you have the two mics and you're cleaning one while the other one's ah, being used Yeah, like that. Um, you know, and people were like, I, uh, I know I, both times I've ended up putting the gloves on. I am an older comic, so I yeah. really don't want COVID. <laughs> no one wants COVID, yeah. Yeah, so, and I also, and, um, you know, I kept the mask on while I was doing, uh, telling the Oh, jokes. really? That's yeah. hard though, isn't it? It wasn't, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think both of you and I have loud enough voices that it it, it works through the okay. mic through the, the mask well but i'm thinking like isn't that part of the act what you're doing with this part of your face i'm so expressive you know? <laughs> it comes right out through what about hey i just had an idea yeah you know those clear um face shields that people yeah. wear 
Oh, the ones that rest on their neck or, or even the, yeah. No, no, no. You just put it on. It's like, a, it's what a dentist um, wore, right? Where it's like a, uh, it's a clear thing that goes over, but it sits on your head. What if you had one of those so everyone could see your face, but then the mic was on the other side of it? That might work. Uh, I don't know. You could try it. You could try it. <laughs> you, could try it. Uh, I, you know, uh, part of me thinks that the, the mask would interfere with the travel of the air of the Maybe. voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know. It, it could. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I didn't mind. I don't mind keeping the mask on during that time. You know, I don't know if I told you at the beginning of when this whole COVID thing started, I did a show for Johnny Corn. Uh, it was like, I think it was March 12th or 13th or something like that. Yeah, two days before. I literally, and this was before anybody was doing anything except, yeah. you know, let's do our elbow uh, things or whatever. I know. And I was sitting there telling my jokes. And at one moment, I felt my mouth touch the mic. And after my set, I rushed to the bathroom yeah. and I threw all this water in my face because I, you know, was just yeah. freaking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I don't mind keeping the mask on. Well, just the inconsistency of this virus, you know, some people are like, I didn't notice it. And then other people, you know, just die and quickly. So it's yeah. like. I don't know. What are you going to get? It's rolling the dice. Are you going to be the guy who doesn't feel anything? Or are you going to be the guy who ends up in the ICU? And I have a, I have a, uh, somebody I went to high school, uh, with, she was a long termer. So, and I don't know if she's over it yet, but she's had symptoms for three or four or five months. That's something people aren't even talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's various other things where it, it causes issues that are long lasting. So, well, you know, and that's what, when I read that, I was like, cause before I was a little cavalier about it. And I mean, I, I am not going out. I'm, I'm yeah. following all the rules and I put the mask on, but I was like, eh, if I get it, I get it. I, I don't think I'll die from it because I, I like to believe I have a strong immune system. But, um, then I was reading these articles where they're showing, oh, well, these are people who got it. You know, I don't know what level they were at, but Look at the x-rays of their lungs. They have spots on it, just like a smoker would have. I'm like, ah, oh, because in California, we're already highly at risk for lung cancer, highly at risk because um, for the last, what, seven years, we've been breathing smoke for a month out of the year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, like this year, there was, there was, what, three weeks where I really didn't go out. I mean, and when I say didn't go out, at least when COVID was in, I was walking, going out for walks, walking the dog, whatnot. But when that big, when we were being pinched from the east, west, and south with those fires, yeah, like it was just me and the wife and kids just in the house. And we took, I really only took the dog out just for like 10 minutes for bathroom breaks. And oh, I thought it was a great excuse for anti maskers to wear masks. Oh, I'm wearing it because of the smoke. It's not because I'm worried about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if you're in California, you just got to get used to wearing masks because it's it's yeah, it's sad though cuz I you know, you and I lived in the Bay Area forever and uh it hasn't been like you know, it it wasn't until this year and a couple year few years ago that it got got like this. Yeah. It's been sort it's definitely uh sad. It's I wasn't at all I nothing really hit me with what I would say um, since the start of all this happened with both the pandemic and then the civil unrest and then the fires, the whole time I was just thinking, um, the, 
my same mindset, which I've all, always have in my life, which is, uh, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. But then I would say the second week into those fi- big fires where the sky was just so bad and it couldn't go out. And that, that was the first time this year in 2020 where I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I just feel, I feel sad for the entire human race. Cause I think this is it, but I don't feel that way anymore. But it, it's like, it was just one thing after another, after another. And then this whole, this whole year has been, I mean, this whole year has been like that. Right? Has. I mean, there's things that happened before COVID. I can't remember what happened. Oh, uh, the bees Kobe died. Kobe, Kobe died. died. You had yeah. um, hornets. What were they called? Those one hornets? Well, the murder hornets happened, started after, after, um, COVID, but Kobe, I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly when Kobe died, but I mean, it was, it's hard to remember that that was at the beginning of the year. <laughs> it's been bananas. I know. I know. Um, I am hoping to be looking forward to things being much calmer after January 20th. I mean, not that he caused the murder hornets and things, but yeah, I think it'll help our mentality. Fresh starts always good, whether you like the guy or you don't. Um, yeah. Especially just because, I mean, yeah. Even if you make an argument that Trump did good things, he, the way he handled himself was just so vulgar. The whole the whole ride that you can't it's hard to accept a person who talks that way. Uh, I have more of an issue with him separating the kids from their parents at the border. I think that was evil. That was evil, but hey, you want to get into it? He didn't build those cages. Uh, he was the one that forced them to be separated. That's true. That's yeah. true. but the but the process. The whole th- the ball the ball had been rolling. Um, no, nobody before that had thought that was a good idea to force the separation of of the kids from the parents. Yeah, so I'm not arguing that those cages weren't built ahead of time, but he wanted that to ha- he he wanted the misery to happen. Yeah. So uh, I have a I thought that was you know that's bad. Yeah, I thought that was evil. That's so. not evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, January 20th. But I think then that for me, um, I don't think we even can talk about normal again until the vaccine is blowing um, what I would consider, um, I guess, not everywhere, like not 90%, but like readily available to the majority of the population, which that's going to be a long time still. Right. I, I get, I think in the meantime, the question is how do you get rid of the politicalization of the mask wearing? Um, why? Yeah. Why is that so hard for people to do? I don't understand. Be- why is that a political thing? Because they made it into a political thing. Because, because Trump was talking shit about Biden wearing it. Uh, it was even before, no, no, he, he just, he just got up and said, you know, you should wear your mask. I'm not going to wear a mask. So, you know, he, he basically made it sound like, you know, you don't, you know, usually you expect a leader to lead and show you how to behave. And he, so his, 
decision for doing that was not wanting to be seen with a mask on because I think he he thought it made him look weak or something like that. So I heard this anecdote, and I don't know how true this is because I didn't bother to go research it, but someone was telling me that uh, in the Spanish flu, so... 1917 through 19. I thought it was, yeah, wasn't it 1918 and 1919? I believe 1918 to 1919. Um, that even back then, covering your face was the uh, like recommended steps to take to kind of prevent this, right? And in San Francisco, this case actually happened in San Francisco. Um, where something just like that happened where, and obviously they didn't have surgical masks back then. So I don't know, they might've just put rags around their faces or something. I, I don't know. I don't know the real history. I know, here's what I know about the Spanish flu. And this is why I'm not, I, I don't think we can ever get back to normal until there's a vaccine is that when the first wave hit, everyone was dismissive, dismissive of it. And ironically, the first wave lines up really well date wise with the first wave of COVID-19 which was in the springtime and, you know, people were dying, but they were like, ah, oh, well, whatever. And then everyone went back to normal. And then in the fall of 1918 and then winter of 1919, that's when it did. That's when it really walloped people. And that's when the majority of the dying happened. Right. But that was one of the things that was pres prescribed is to cover your face. And evidently there was, um, this could all be bullshit because someone told me this. But there was a politician who wasn't wearing a mask and they actually got the fine. And the fine was like a crazy amount for those times, like which would equal to like a $10,000 fine in our day and age. Mm -hmm. um, and when I went to, I, I don't go out much, but I did go to uh, Monterey Cannery Row maybe a few months back because my wife is, she's just kind of like, and me too, not just, I can't put on, she's going stir crazy. Like we got to go somewhere. So we went there, but they had signs everywhere that said no face mask, $100 fine. Oh, really? I think that's reasonable. I think $100 fine. Um, look, you pay, your, you pay your five bucks for a mask or $100 fine. Your, your choice. As, as long as the, uh, the poor can get access to free masks, yeah. Well, I mean, even if you're poor, you could probably afford, you know, like yeah. every grocery store has them now. Yeah. So everyone should be able to have some kind of, or this thing, right? Because doesn't everyone have an old t-shirt or a bandana? Yeah. Well, yeah. that is a mask. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, the whole mask, the politicalization of the mask thing has been sad. Do you think masks are a major reason why California isn't, is, well, I should knock on wood. Some parts of California aren't spiking again yet. Uh, it certainly seems like uh, it's a combination probably of our wet weather staying nicer. So we not, not feel like everybody are, you know, where people aren't forced indoors. Yeah. I don't know. And that I, I just think people are more, certainly in our area, are more open to wearing the masks and things like that. So, I mean, I haven't, I haven't had any issue with people not wearing the masks. Yeah. So I, it, I think it's just the norm here. It's the norm. I think we're well behaved. I think we're a compliant <laughs> society in the Bay Area. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, you you saw. I mean, there. Yeah, on the whole, yeah. And, and I think because 
it was a reason. It's a reasonable thing, right, to wear the mask. Ah, uh, seems to me. It doesn't seem that. Um, I I don't see where the freedom being taken away is. Like, if I had a choice between forcing people, um. So actually, how should I phrase this? If a mask means a business can open up and make money, wear the, yeah, just everyone yeah. wear the mask because that business needs to be open. Like I'm not for closing, closing every business um, or forcing people to not be able to do business. Um, and I think to do that, all you need to do is say, okay, well, you can limit, you have to limit how many people are in your place of business and everyone in there needs to wear face masks. It's either that or we don't let anyone open up and that's terrible. So yeah, uh, yeah it seems really, seems like an easy one, but I, I, I think it's kind of like the rebel states, you know, the United States, here's the thing. We are, a, we're, we are a rebel nation to some extent. When you think about it, we were born out of a, a rebellion. And so the attitude of, I'm not gonna do what you tell me to do is kind of in our DNA. But I think it's more of a Southern thing than, than, a, than a California thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's I, I don't know. It's just so. <laughs> what can you do? I, yeah, I just think, yeah, there, I think some people have this just, I mean, I mean, look at the people that feel the need to walk around with, you know, how many rifles hanging off of their shoulders. Oh, that's terrible. Whatever, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the only place that has more gun violence than the United States is Colombia. I think there's, there, I, there may be more, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, it almost feels it, for some of the people, it feels almost like a, like a, an ism type, you know, like an alcoholism thing or something like that, where they have to have so many guns. It's like, what would you ever do with all those guns? You know, which, which army are you trying to outfit? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, so yeah. crazy times, crazy people. <laughs> this is why we got to make more jokes. I know, right? Oh, everyone yeah. down. So I, I've got to get on more Zoom shows, and yeah. No, I think I you do. I see you at you know a lot of these shows, but yeah, we do have a good click. I would say the South Bay click is a strong click. <laughs> but we're open, right? Uh, you know, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, no, it's been good. Yeah, nice. I, I mean, I feel very. I do feel badly for like. Uh, you know, all the owners of the bars and stuff that were oh, yeah. to go, you know, uh, I, like Amanda and things like that. I mean, it's terrible what's happened, you know, happened there. So, yeah, it's not good. Um, I, I would have liked for businesses to have been able to stay open since the beginning in some capacity, if that only means, you well, know, a few people in at a time, all wearing masks, all social distance, but I get it. Had to do something. Or, and having some, you know, having something from the government that's, you know, in the cases where that's the type of business that can't open for now, where there's some sort of government support of them or some, somehow, you know, backing them up so they can go back and, you know, back into business. I have a story for you on that one. Oh, Yes. Most of my, I have, let's put it this way. Um, 
vast majority of the people I work with on a day-to-day basis are in uh, UK, England specifically. Mm-hmm. You would not believe the social services that country put in place for their people. Like literally they are floating businesses. The government is floating businesses for like nine months. They're floating 80% of people's salary who are furloughed. Well, I know here, I think in the United States, I, can't, I shouldn't criticize because there were people who were given more than their actual salary on the stimulus package. But, right. but I'm, I'm talking like people, first off, they have, the whole country is like a labor union. Meaning if you have a job there, you have certain protections. And so when someone furloughs you, they aren't firing you. So what that means is if I'm furloughed, um, I still have some kind of stipend from the company, but it's like a fraction of my salary. And then on top of that, there was a social service safety net like unemployment that people were getting. So people were basically getting 100% of their salary when they were affected by it. And that's that's the individual. But then businesses... Um, that, you know, like the tourist business and whatever else that was affected by it, um, they got stipends to where they were at least getting their run rate for like nine months, maybe even above run rate. Because again, because it's like a very um, labor protected market, the company couldn't just go out of business. It had to keep paying its employees, even if they were furloughed, because they had a percentage of a furlough to pay. And then the government was making up the rest. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make is over there, everyone was pretty much, anyone who was affected negatively in their salary was somehow taken care of by the government pretty handsomely. And I was like, I was asking my colleagues, I go, well, how, because here in America, I don't know how we're going to pay for this bill, right? I, where's Because there's going to be another stimulus package that comes out and I don't know, I guess it's the Federal Reserve just burning more money. I, I, I don't know how it all works, but- Well, I, the, I, the government- is able to borrow, you know, borrow money at the lowest possible interest rate. Okay. So we we are we're financing the recovery of you know the recovery and the help for everybody through getting these low interest loan, you know, the through the federal government being able to get you know the best interest rate possible. Okay. Not zero, but but it's still very small because of our credit rating. Right. Right. So that's what the deficit is. Right. It's the difference between what we have to borrow and what, you know, comes in through income taxes. Okay. So. Right. It's going to be nightmarish for us. And I assume so for UK, too. But the point being is that they kind of kept people there, I think, felt had a sense of security for staying in. Whereas in the United States, I don't think anyone had a sense of security. I think everyone's panicking about going back to work. Well, that's. Right. That's why the UK did what they did, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like, I mean, look what happened to Europe when they, uh, the, the 2008 thing happened, right? Mm. It was sort of like the, the roles were reversed. The US uh, did not go to these austerity measures for everybody. They, they tried to help things along. Whereas in Europe, they did all these austerity, austerity measures where they... Um, I forget what they cut back exactly, but basically those Europe has t- took so much longer to recover from the financial crisis than the U.S. did mm. because they decided, you know, they went to this, you know, not going to borrow money to, to help people out thing, whereas the U.S. did go for the stimulus packages. Okay. 
Got it. So, uh, I, you know, I mean, there's no, yeah. I mean, it's hard to fight COVID if people can't stay at home and work from home, right? That's, I mean, look at the Santa Clara County. Have you looked at the the uh, percentages when it comes to uh, ethnicity and how they're affected? Um, no. Oh, okay. Well, about 50% of the people affected by COVID in Santa Clara County uh, were uh, Latino. Okay. Which, and which is a much higher percentage than the, than the percentage of Latinos in Santa Clara County. Got it. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying Latin X these days or Latino. So I'm hopefully saying whatever the politically correct uh, one is, because that's what I mean to say. But, um, anyway, they, they, because of whatever their roles are, have had been hit much harder by uh, COVID in Santa Clara County than other ethnicities. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting and sad. Yeah. Right. It's so. not good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, hopefully, I, you know, I think We've gone to orange or whatever, but hopefully we, we can stay at orange. Yeah, and, we're in orange. Um, and most likely my kids will be going back to school in January. Wow. January 4th. But it'll be partial, which my sister, so my sister is a school teacher and um, she's over in Elk Grove and they've been open pretty much since a week or two after the school season started. And so she does... <clears throat> what's called an AB cohort, which means your class is basically divided in two. So normally you would have 24 kids. Mm -hmm. Now she has 12 kids um, twice a week. And then there's one, what's called like a teacher something day, uh, usually Wednesdays. So she has like a class that'll come in on Monday, Thursday, and Tuesday, Friday. And she says it's great. (laughs) um, Working more on an individual basis with the child Right. She's early child, like a kindergarten. She says it makes a huge difference to be trying to teach 12 kids at a time than teaching 24 kids at a time. And so she's feeling like just her subjective, you know, experience in this past however many uh, months in the school year, she thinks that this, this is a really good um, way to teach kids. Yeah. Because then when the kids aren't in, they give them paperwork and packets. Like my kids are just on Zooms pretty much from 8.30 until like one one thirty, And then the rest of the time, it's me or my, either them doing it on their own or me or my wife helping in. I think it's way too much screen time because even their uh, um, work is on like computer programs. So the kids are staring at screens like all day. And um, I'm, I'm not too, I want them to get back to... <laughs> not staring at a screen all day, you know? Yeah. And yeah. they don't like it either. They, they don't like being on Zooms. Um, well, and I, I'm sure the teachers don't like it either, right? So, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think my sister liked it. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully uh, the vaccine will come out. And then I, I think they were, at one point, they were talking third quarter of next year as to when, assuming a vaccine is approved, that it that it could be in widespread distribution. Oh, my God, that's so far away. Yeah. So that's basically July, August time frame. Uh, yeah, I would think more uh, August. Yeah. Yep. Wow. 
<clears throat> well, nothing's I mean, been approved yet, right? So no. Well, then I hope uh, you know. I'm glad I enjoy these Zoom mics. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. 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 Well, all right, Ed Rubin, I got to get out of here, man. But as usual, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate you joining me. Um, you, you're just a fountain of knowledge. <laughs> I always feel smarter after talking to you. Oh, thank you. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work with the writing. I'm actually going to check that YouTube site out. Um, I'll, I'll hit you up after to get the actual URL. And then all uh, right. but I, I'll just like, I'll get the word and practice with myself because I, I haven't had, I've been able to write. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm out of ideas, but I always welcome more writing exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the good thing about being there live is you feel this sense of the deadline. Yes. So, and that makes a huge, huge difference, right? You know, which you professional deadline here and you could just stare at your pad for however long, but when it's, yeah, you know, you're more willing to accept imperfection when there's a deadline. Correct. So um, I think that's quite helpful, especially, at least for me, it is. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Maybe I could, I can move some meetings around, maybe get to one a week. Actually, if it's every day, I could do it Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's Saturday. It is Saturday and Sunday. So check it out on a tomorrow. Well, yeah, no, tomorrow morning uh, at 7 a.m. Um, it, it's definitely going. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. Right on, Ed. Thank you very much. All right. Much. Thank you, Matthew. I always enjoy being on here. Yeah. Hopefully, your millions of fans enjoy it as well. Oh, I yeah. They love Ed Rubin. <laughs> as well, they should. Yes. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs>